Only the best. Elegato <laughs> face cam. Yeah. Same. I've got, I've got the, the DSLR. 360. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm using I'm, a Nexi Go. <laughs> yeah. Delgato's right. not bad. I'm going to buy this Elgato Elgato right now. Don't. Just use your iPhone as a camera. I don't yeah, you think I have an iPhone? Version. I have I run Pixel. I'm an Android. Someone has You're an, an Android? Echo. Oh yeah. my god, I can't. It's probably the it's, it's probably like the audience. The green, the, yeah. the green dot, I'm sorry. Like I just go for the pixels every time. Just the Pixel A series. I'm mm. I don't care. I'm as long yeah. as I can read the news and see stuff got, and get phone calls. Like Like I said, I got tired of Google trying to sell me shit that I was talking yeah. about the night that's, before. That's why actually I would old. buy I would buy an Android phone if it wasn't for the the fact that I personally believe that Google just wants to mine all of my data, and so that's my only. Because they are, yeah. Right. yeah. Apple but, wants to, Apple uses planned obsolescence to sell you the same iPhone they every just year. Sell me more Google, which sells your data yeah. to someone else. Yeah. You gotta you gotta pick your crap, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you've just gotta pick your crap. And yes. I'd rather have planned obsolescence than um than like I said, like the level that Google is actually looking in on what I'm doing is just. It made me uncomfortable. I was kind of done with it. So yeah. I know there's people like, but Apple. I know right, now Apple I have sucks. to go buy pick an your Apple poison. Phone. Yeah, it's pick your guess. poison. That's what it is. That's yeah. what that's where yeah. we live in. Pick your data broker. Would you rather have it be local or remote? I do <laughs> wish that the Microsoft phone was still a thing. It would nice be nice to have at least that option. Bring back the Zune. <laughs> it is you. What you do, John, is you get an Zune Android phone. or sorry, you just get any like ARM tablet, and then you just put Windows 10 on it, and then you just use like no, you virtual machines. An, you buy an old phone, just put a bullet through it, and it's about as functional as that uh, Microsoft yeah, phone. There you go. <laughs> okay, that's just mean. Are we ready yeah. to kick this thing <laughs> off proper? Uh, or is this all going to be a pre-show show? It's a show. Oh, no. show. Launch it. Launch the fire. Let's the, do it. Fire Roll the, the finger. finger. All fire, right. All fire right. the rockets. Ryan's here. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. And as Roger just pointed out, the only InfoSec news podcast that gives you the finger right at the beginning. Um, <laughs> this week, we're going to be talking about the Move It vulnerability, because literally that is probably the single most important thing that is on the news today. Uh, but we have other news stories that maybe we're going to get into, like uh, how long John Strand underwear model insurrection was sentenced to prison. Which I'm sure is interesting. Who the hell put this here? Whose picture is that? <laughs> Whose picture is that? I can see who did this. No, I can no, tell no, you no. it was me. That just means me. that just means Wade's hovering over it. Don't yeah. don't let him no, don't, don't shoot don't, the don't messenger. <laughs> That's Wade though. But no, so this is actually the real question is who wrote the news article. But all we know is that John Strand, international. I don't know how you can be a national underwear model, but he's an international, international? underwear model. Local, he was sentenced to 32 months in prison. Which 32 months. He cannot do the math to turn that into years. Do you think so he's going to be an they... underwear model in prison, too? Listen. Listen. They... Yeah. I honestly like wonder how how are the like how are how are these people being treated in prison? We know certain people are treated really badly in prison based on their think... crimes. Like, do you think... Uh, secessionists are like is that good or is that bad i, I think it depends on the prison you go to like yeah. you know martha stewart's prison was sounded pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> what's that lady from Thanos? was it thanos or thanaros 
Theranos, the Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, the 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 Steve Jobs looking lady that wore the turtleneck and everything. She's going to prison. Sounds actually kind of nice. Actually, seriously, if someone were to come up to me and like, John, we're going to take you to prison, and there's going to be sporting activities, cooking classes, and uh, arts and crafts, and exercise hour. Like, and there's no real perimeter, and there's no fence, and there's no armed guards. Like, sign me up. Sounds Uh, like the Hotel California. However, yeah, the web proxy. I like very good, Ryan. <laughs> but so, the web proxy is not very good. Yeah, it's really yeah the web proxies aren't it, that good. Yeah. I could do without it. They're like, here, you've got to surrender your computers and your phones. I'm like, here, just take you it. Only have I'm, to bypass this Palo Alto. You're good. Yeah, <laughs> oh, geez, that's all I've got to do to get out. So we um, know that prisons use slave labor, but do they do it for pen testing yet? Like, are, is it like, oh man, no. I, 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 I'm in, I'm in like the bougie prison, so I have to write code for DOD now. <laughs> oh, Roger's asking how many hacks gets him in. We need oh. to create this prison. Mm. Um, we need to create this prison, and we need, or we need to partner with them. This is evil. We're like a corporation trying to figure out how to profit <laughs> up the United States. It's really fantastic, everybody, that that's not the way the actual prison system works in America, right? That, right. Imagine, that's right. imagine, yeah. imagine just <laughs> sure. an elite group of hackers coming straight out of prison, right? Though, like, because they stopped giving them weights because they're all buff, but now they're just coming out, just Skilled, nation states, nation ready state to ready yeah. to just. Your next ransomware group. Here we come. That's what you think it is, but what you're only going to get is a bunch of Kevin Mitnicks. Um, (laughs) They're all, yeah, they're all influencers. You're like, come on, guys, stop (laughs) tweeting about how cool prison is. It's like, it's not that cool. It's not as cool as you think it is. Um, God, there's so many stories, but we've got to get to the Yeah, let's talk about Move It. Let's talk about Move It. I'm going to set the stage a little bit. Um, talking about it. So one of the things that uh, I've got a bunch of things that I want to talk about, and I'll just kind of circle back through them. I think um, I need so a link for this one. Yeah, here, I'm going to give you the actual, we got it. Um, <laughs> Don't click on link. the YouTube music video. Oh, oh, it's not that good. It's not that good. One of the, one of the pros of this is progress.com. The people that create move it. This particular vulnerability is by far and away the most viewed page on their website. So congratulations. Wow, progress. They did it. Somebody in marketing did a good job there. So um, for anyone wondering what they do, the, the, it's this is like managed file transfer. The, the, it's it like is. it's like uh, KiteWorks or one of those similar. Like right. you know, they have an SFTP component. They have a uh, you know a web component web front end. Yeah. yeah, it's all slick. I just um, but but apparently there's an unauthenticated SQL injection vulnerability, and what it allows you to do is drop a web shell on the system, and that's just one of the things that it does. And um, it's, like I said, the web vulnerability allows you to then get access to the system itself, the entire file system on the computer system. And the thing that's driving me absolutely up a wall, and I want to start with this question. If this was seven, eight years ago, there would be exploits and proof of concept exploit code everywhere, like all over the internet. What I'm seeing now is a bunch of indicators of compromise. Uh, There's a ton of things, and I can't remember where I saw where I got some Yara rules. There's, yeah, there's like there's Python tools to there's scan no, if you have there, a web shell. There, it yeah. like dropped like a Windows log file or something like that. It does. Too, right? Well, like, it dropped yeah. a whole bunch of DLLs and all kinds of different things. But here's well, my when you problem. say it, you're talking about a very specific malware. Yes. And, yes. And it's just because there's a SQL injection doesn't yeah, mean. So, yeah. So everybody's kind of focused on Lace Tempest is the group that we believe started using this exploit uh, the 27th of this month or last month. It was the first time that I know of so far. So we're on the fifth. 
And for the record, as of right now, there are, here we go. There are 2,517 systems online that are MoveIt servers. I'll share that with everybody. That's actually a Shodan search that you can run, um, that you're allowed to find it via the uh, fave icon patch associated with it. So that's kind of cool. You could patch your server by changing the fave icon. You totally could. (laughs) Totally could. So here's the problem I have with the Yara rules for this so far. And I want to really want to get Wade's take on this. And um, I would love to get um, uh, Mike's take on this as well. First out of the gate, because, you know, they're more blue. A lot of these are the hashes, right? Here's the file hashes that you need to be looking for. And there's like one, two, three, four of the file hashes in the Yara uh, rule that I'm looking at. I find it interesting that there are Yara rules and detection rules for the Lace Tempest exploitation of this vulnerability way before there was proof of concept code um, associated with this. While they're doing that, Ryan, I'll share my screen because I have a, a showdown license because I'm fancy like that. Is this progress or is this like moving in the wrong direction? I, I, I'm kind of conflicted. I'm going to share my screen out so people can look at the stuff that I just talked about while they're talking. Uh, I, I've talked about before, like Yara is great and all, but I don't, my experience is not a lot of people are using it nowadays. Um, and once again, sticking with the hashes, you don't want to stay with those atomic indicators at all. I, right off the bat, was looking for, whoa! Was, <laughs> there we go. Was lo- I was looking for any Sigma-based rules. <laughs> I was looking for Sigma rules for it and found a couple right off the bat. And then just hovering over Twitter, pretty much the base the whole time looking for stuff. But uh, hashes are always, I hate it when anyone just gives you a hash and just like, detect things i'm like no like so what make me, make me sad well, blue tumor part, what part, most companies part are of the doing, problem part of ahead, the problem Mike. that we have with uh using hashes like that is most of the time by the time those come out if you're writing your own uh way of detecting it using those hashes that's going to be tossed into just about every edr within moments within within an hour i would say of Yara rules coming out. So if you're using CrowdStrike or you're using Sentinel One or you're using Microsoft, you're going to have those hashes automatically put in as it is, anyways. Uh, the TTPs, the the way that they're going about doing it, is well more effective as far as the detection rate goes for a experienced blue team or somebody that's actually going to write their own detections on it and not just sit there and be vulnerable just because they've got hashes and say oh i got the first hashes and that's it we're done and like we've talked to a couple of companies clients that have it and it's not they, there's a patch for it and it's usually this isn't like business critical um what what people are doing it seems is just taking it offline patching it and then bringing it back so i don't think that in this case, you need to like Yara or something advanced like that is great when you're talking about like the scope can be huge, the impact is huge, and you can't take it offline. But like with this, you're just like, do we have move it? Yeah, we do. Okay, turn that off and let's patch it and then let's turn it back on. Like, I don't think it just seems superfluous, but this is the standard though. This is how you handle uh, incidents like this. And at least that I found, I can't find proof of concept code, like what the actual parameters are vulnerable. Is it, you know, what? I haven't found that yet. So it's essentially like the defenses are there. There's already a patch. 
hashing and doing all this fancy R stuff is probably not worth the time. By the time you get the rolls dropped in, you should have just patched it by then. So. I'm just burned out. Like log, like there's been bigger stuff, right? Log for yeah. J kind of already. Like that's the first thing I'm thinking of that's in recent history that I would care more about than this. Uh, also, like on- honestly, I I dived into it when it first came out and then realized like, oh, no one I know, none of the corporate people I I work with or like I don't have it or it's, a lot of other people don't have it. It's a lot smaller of a footprint, so yeah, I didn't care. But let's talk about that footprint just for a second. Uh, that footprint, it may be small in the number of systems. Like I said, if you, if you go on Shodan, it's something like 2,500 um, systems are running it now. The vast majority of them are in the United States. And I'm going to share my screen again because I was going to bring that up. They also have a software as a service offering. And so. Gossy the dog uh, had credible information that the SaaS offering was vulnerable as well. Mm. So here you've got the number of systems and the vast majority are in the United States because it's a really expensive product, apparently. And apparently it's heavily used by the United States government, which is probably part of the reason that we uh, have Lace Tempest or advanced APT groups actually going after it. Mm. Um, And some people have called out in the comments so far that it's not quite as simple as just bringing down the file transfer service and then bringing it back up, patching it and bringing it back up, because there are actual... Um, organizations that are heavily using file transfers. Um, in particular, one of the customers that we have talked to, Ben from Casey, I think brought that point up, um, was a law firm. And I think that this also gets into some really interesting questions about, you know, it's one thing to say, here's what you need to do to patch it. I agree with the Yara, like the utility of Yara rules are less interesting to me at the moment than the detection of the attack. And more importantly, like, does anybody know what the logging of this is to be able to tell if you've been attacked? Because a lot of the detection that I've been reading online is really, really light, right? Like, they're like, here's additional best practices and here's some IOCs. And the IOCs are absolutely like the generic Yara hash IOCs. What kind of logs does MoveIt generate? Can we actually look at those logs to see? what if an exploit actually happened and i know i can answer this question but i want to kick it out all um kind of talk about this a little bit uh this is the trusted sec blog which i think is the best blog uh for, the, for this one so far. this is a write-up of the web shell that the threat actors were using yes but, yeah and that's, um once again this is more useful this is more in line with what wade and mike were talking about it i'm not as interested in the actual hashes i'm really interested in the tradecraft. Uh, that was used for this because yeah. odds are the attackers and the pen testers will be following the same pathways. So yeah, the other thing to keep in mind is like one of the recommendations. What obviously to apply the patch. The other recommendation is just to completely remove the web interface or disable the web interface, and that would leave the SFTP. Which, to be honest, I would guess for like a law firm, the web interface is just as critical because you have you know distribution of documents and things like that, and that's all very important using primarily the web interface for probably financial industry it's more using of the actual sftp you know just sending statements and financial stuff back and forth like that's you know they used to drive a truck with a bag of checks now they do this yeah yeah i mean i definitely think that it's one of those honestly though having done a lot of pen tests for organizations uh, the file transfer applications are one of my favorite targets because they usually don't have single factor 
or I'm sorry, they usually do have single factor. They don't have multi-factor. And they usually don't have good account management practices. And I can almost always find credentials and data breaches for these types of uh, file transfers because they have really widespread usage where like if I if you work if you work for any other company and I have to send you a file, I have to use this appliance. So that means there's hundreds of thousands of accounts of people that have used it once and most companies don't expire the accounts. So it's like you have this huge list of accounts that are permanently enabled with bad credentials. Honestly, more than anything, we use it as a phishing vector, not necessarily to access sensitive data, but we use it to send internal spear phishes a lot. So yeah. you might get an account, yeah, they have, no, they have no access to sensitive files, but I can go in this file transfer application and send an email to our point of contact or uh, you know another target, and it'll have an attachment or whatever, and it will come from a trusted sender. So it won't be like external email. It'll be like, you're, you know, we, this person shared this file with you. Which is um, an so excellent it, pivot to this gets detection into, for that, too. Uh, this gets into a conversation <laughs> that I'd like to kind of rehash that we had today at the BHIS meeting, where we have had customers that we found single-factor authentication. We weren't able to exploit it um, because there wasn't a zero-day or, you know, we didn't have credentials in, you know, breach databases or anything like that. And we have decided that that is going to be a high vulnerability moving on. Uh, not necessarily because of this zero day, but because of other vulnerabilities. And at any point, you're one breached credential away from being completely compromised. And that's too close for my comfort. So kind of opening that up, I mean, even in BHIS, we had different opinions. What do you all think about that? Just like, hey, if this is single factor, not that two factor would have stopped this, but just basically bringing up these types of portals and saying, look, these things should not be exposed. And if they are exposed, it should be two factor. Oh, Ralph was talking. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, I have two things on this that I'll just hit. So the first one is that not every time can you immediately deduce whether this interface is single factor. Two factor factor or not. Yes, exactly. Right? So sometimes it'll ask for that uh, authentication method later, and it's an option that you can enable or disable, right? Um, So you maybe be like, this product does support two factor. I'm not sure if it's enabled, right? So as far as uh, like letting the customer know, that's when you're going to be like, hey, I'm not sure. Is it two factor asking the customer or two writing it up and then, you know, being like, oh, well, we weren't sure we weren't able to determine but we wanted to make sure. Right. So um, that's kind of my take at like how to approach that single factor. Right. Because there's times where you just don't know. There's not a way without a valid credential to confirm whether there's two factor. Other times it, it's easy to tell. Just yeah, like tag, it has tag to be a dialogue. On, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a tagging on to Corey's have. talk. Right. Like. All these things are one-time use, but the biggest part for the blue teamers is you're fighting against the corporate culture, right? That, and usually when people are using these types of stuff, it's the business people. And those are the people who are making the money and who who can scream the loudest. And so you really have to fight for that. Um, The stuff that I've seen put in place is that it all has a time to live. That's pretty much the account is going to die or get deleted even after use. And everything that you sent with that dies right off the bat. Yes, it. and that's how it should uh, be. So that's important. Timing out of the files that you transfer—that's a great yes. point. And, and the, the other uh, thing, the, or, the, go ahead. The multi—the other problem with uh, multi-factor, at least in the financial industries that I've seen that use FTP SFTP, is a lot of it is just straight automated. So the transfers are done in batch at XYZ time, and nobody's actually physically touching that login on it. So they. It, I'm not sure. I haven't delved into a lot of the FTP stuff at this point, 
but I'm not sure if you could even automate the answer of a multi-factor authentication on it, whereas a time to time to live would uh, help create the situation a little bit better. Because it's reducing the total blast radius of the attack, right? I mean, like yeah. you gain access to a server and you've gotten access to the files in the last hour or two. That sucks. There's no question, right? But if you gain access to the server and every single file that's ever been transferred for the past five, 10 years, that's catastrophic at that point. Yeah. And that's the other thing I was going to say is like we talk about, you know, this is an old school attack. You know, you talked about all oh, seven or eight years ago, this would have been, yep, just another SQL injection. And even today, it's insane to see an application that's this recent that still has SQL yeah. injection. But I, I think the thing to think about with this is one advantage of this is that this is an application that you can put absolutely on its own network segment out in the void with no access to nothing because it's all point to point of like user to user to user to user to user. When you get into the automation stuff, hopefully it's still point to point where it's like automated, uh, you know, automated system to automated system. So like if I shell this thing and I get access to whatever it has access to, you would hope most organizations set this up to be isolated on its own network segment or in the cloud by itself because it doesn't need any access to it. But it is funny because it's a SQL injection. You can get system access and then anything the system has access to network-wise. Or, or, yeah, so, so it's, kind of, it's an old-school vulnerability that you just hope that as a community, as a security industry, we know we have this file transfer appliance. We're going to put it by itself in this network segment with access to nothing. It's so two code, but it checks so out. So two stories of detection that I think are important just from the last week at BHIS. One of them is an IR engagement. So the customer, you talk about the best practices and redu reducing the blast radius. This particular customer only did the file transfers to specific IP addresses. Yeah. And they actually put in rules, I think within this application, move it you can say you're only allowed to receive connections from this IP address over here. And the way that they detected it is they noticed that it was literally sending data to places that were not on that approved IP address list. So then we got involved, we started looking at it, we're like, holy crap, it's literally like communicating to uh, systems that it honestly should not be able to communicate with at all. And I love that as a story because yes, the customer was one of the people that got hit, but let's be honest, how many companies out there would be able to detect something like that, right? Like they put in the rules, whether it's a firewall rule or a local app rule to restrict it because that's good security practice, right? You're going to say, hey, we just got to do this with this IP address over here, lock it down. They do that. And then they're able to detect whenever something is outside of those conditions. And I think that whenever we're looking at computer security, a lot of people are missing that second step. They'll go through the various steps, to try to lock it down with a firewall rule, lock it down with a local like rule on the application itself, but they don't have any detective capabilities to say, hey, if anybody is making a connection to an IP address other than this one, then freak out. They're not putting in rules to validate their security support structure. So that was one customer. And the other one was a SOC customer of ours. Um, as soon as this hit, we because we're pulling Sysmon logs from all of our different systems, because Sysmon is the cat's pajamas, we're able to go through event ID one and identify the vulnerable versions of the secure it server, or sorry, the move it server. And we're able to say, are any of these hashes in our database and able to identify going through and saying, all right, customer, you have this. It's absolutely vulnerable. I think the customer, I think the customer 
We saw two, actually. I think we saw one that was making a connection to the domain for the SaaS service. And then the other one was a customer that was running it internally. Um, but we were able to notify them ahead of time. But that of being exploited is like, literally, you need to fix this right now. And the thing that bothers me is like, like a lot of these general blogs talking about this, trusted sec aside, I think that theirs is really, really, really solid. People aren't having conversations about not just how you detect this thing, but how do you set up your architecture to detect things like this moving forward in the future? I, that so your first story it like hit a nerve for me because I feel like that's where the separation from security engineering and security operations really creates a hole in defense. Yeah, like especially with bigger organizations, usually the people who are setting up the tools aren't necessarily the people who are running them later or building those detections for them later. And like going from large corporations and small corporations, I I will say usually the smaller corporations have more fine tuned stuff. Because it's the same person doing everything, at least like uh, in a more healthy environment. Whereas some like as myself, someone who ran and deployed the tools and then also built the detections, I knew the tools back to front. But it's a little bit harder to get that level of communication with a security engineering team to build that stuff. I didn't even know about that other part, John, that. You could put in that whitelisting, the the listing part or in the back end. Which, and I don't know if they no put it in about. as a firewall rule and the SFTP service and the web okay. server was exposed to everybody. But look, if I'm dealing with a customer, and this is one of those things people talk about insurance companies, and they're like, if we get hacked, is the insurance company going to pay out? You'll want to be at that tier, right? Where you put in the security controls, you had validation for the security controls. Sure, you got popped, but it's going to be damn hard, totally not impossible, but damn hard for the insurance company in that situation to say, um, we're not going to pay out because you know you're you had weak security. I mean, you're putting in filtering and you're putting in detections to see if anything exists outside of that condition. You're already two steps removed from ninety percent of the companies that are out there for security. It's a really good way to pitch it too. Is you're uh, eliminating risk and for the company in order for them to use that insurance and tying back your security controls to stuff like that. But yeah, I, I have. Three little things I just want to say about the move it uh, vulnerability. Um, one is uh, that Shodan list uh, that you sent, uh, John. That includes a, a secure it mobile, which I guess wasn't vulnerable to this. So like that hash right for the favorite I- icon includes like the mobile sites as well because those are web interfaces. So it might not be an exact representation of all of the move it transfers, right? And mm-hmm. this was a web interface in front of um, uh, the ability to do SFTP transfers, among other ones in the back. But the thing that I thought was the funniest is if you look up what Move It Transfer says about their system, is that it is PCI, <laughs> HIPAA, GDPR, SOC 2, Type mm-hmm. 2, all of these. Com- it is so compliant. It is the most compliant application in the world, right? Yeah. For doing these kinds of transfers, right? But, um, you know, back to your detection and just like, you know, defense in depth i think someone brought that up right how to lock this down is you know most likely deciding does it need to be public right does this do does anyone on the internet need to be able to access this web interface to do some kind of file transfer and making that decision first john hammond was able to get uh he has a proof of concept python script um that exploits the sql injection vulnerability and uh, so there are people that are able to reverse engineer this and have already reverse engineered the vulnerability. So well, I'm not ripping on John or anybody at Huntress. They're freaking awesome. 
but I'm willing just just to throw this out there, if John Hammond and Huntress were able to get this going, there's a whole bunch of other threat actors mm-hmm. that are reverse engineering this and getting the exploit functional. And so, he has a full video if you want to see that as well. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to the last I wanted I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I feel like, OK, honestly, how can you have a PCI compliant website if you don't have parameterized SQL queries? Like, shouldn't that be on a checkbox <laughs> list? Like, for real. Like, I, I know I know PCI compliance is a lie. I know every yeah. like I know I how they work. And I've done it. I know every <laughs> I get it. However, should there be some stupid checkbox I can put on my website that says we passed a basic web app audit or like. Because truthfully, in 2023, non-parameterized SQL queries, meaning I can go from injection to shell in like, you know, I mean, X number of steps. The the entire exploit in the video, and it could be sped up, is like one second. So like, like, shouldn't there be, shouldn't this be part of compliance is like we use modern security practices to build our apps? No? Okay. I'll move yeah, on. but you, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I can send you over a fainting couch and a box full of pearls, <laughs> of pearls for you to clutch. Are you honestly that surprised by vendors? I mean, yeah, I'm sure that they have a security yeah. test. Yeah, I'm sure that you know they, they, they might use parameterized SQL like statements in most of the app. But once again, it just takes one simple mistake for the, something like this to go through. I'm just saying now, there's developers that were born after I learned you shouldn't yeah, do this. It just takes one intern, all right? Just, yeah, one just go, there we go. It, you're right. It does just take one intern or one slip I, up in the code. Yeah, but here's my crazy. question, and this is something that's absolutely shocking to me, is once again, if I was eight years ago, there were many times the offensive community would have released the proof of concept code yeah. before the patch was released. This, this happened many, many, many times. Is this progress in the industry as a whole, like we're, ser- we're sharing DTECs, we're sharing YAR rules, good, bad, or not, we're sharing blue team stuff before the red team stuff hits. Is this progress or is it just an indication that red teamers everywhere are probably lazy? Because no. I can guarantee you if BHIS was in the middle of a test and this was something that was there, like we would have crowdsourced and had an exploit. And there's got to be other red teaming companies that have the exploit already built. I could make I some want- calls real quick and find out. <laughs> I- but seriously, does this mean that red teamers are lazy or is this a good sign in the industry that maybe people are holding back? And I, I don't think it's drive. a good sign. I think it's the holding back part because as a blue team, yeah. I want both, right? Like I want to write that detection and then I want to go test it. I want to make sure that it's properly working. That's me to a T. I'm not, I, I like to trust myself, but I would trust and verify and then, okay, yes. we're cool. Exactly. Like, if then, you don't have yes. both, it's no good. And also, John, it was exploited by real attackers in the wild and X number of data was stolen. So, and, and <laughs> so this is, security so, fail. Yeah. So this is my take on it. And it's kind of springboarding off of what Wade said and kind of reinforcing that. If we have an exploit, how many times have we seen patches come out from a vendor and the patch is specifically detecting a iteration of a SQL injection attack. Yeah. And if you modify it, like, you know, the, the, so the, the, the lace tempest, we're using apostrophe or one equals one semicolon dash dash. And they put in a string in their detection inside of the app that says, if somebody comes in with apostrophe or one equals one semicolon dash dash, you're going to drop that connection. And then you're like, well, what if it's two equals two? Damn it. We didn't write it for that. They <laughs> so, don't yeah. fix the vulnerability. And I think that having that transparency and having that exploit code available 
in a lot of ways keeps that vendor really correct. Honest. It's also motivation to patch, by the yeah. way. When the exploit's public, yeah. it's motivation oh, to patch. Yeah. So I would they, say 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Wright's law says people will not patch unless there is an oh. exploit in the wild. Like, like I told you, exactly. you just you always just Complete. say we just need BHIS just publishing. Hey, we're exploiting. The, hey, this <laughs> there is a guy. Right? There, there, <laughs> and I gotta say, there is a guy that had. I'm sure there's a, or a guy or girl security guy that was like, we got to put a laugh in front of our managed file transfer. And everyone was like, this is stupid. You don't put things in front of things. And he was like, no, we're putting a laugh in front of it. We put a laugh in front of everything, and they did not get hacked. <laughs> yeah so yeah just i saying. like roger's quote assume it's out there yeah right? <laughs> so the exploit the exploit is out there i i gotta send that in for a t-shirt thing for wild west hacking fest oh it's malware yeah. finds a way we already yeah. have it but yeah no, no, i mean but but uh the x-files theme oh the okay. exploit is out there Corey uh, said yeah. that um this is uh you know i can't believe this uh sql right there's sql injection but um there's probably more if like because this is a class of oh the, god like i mean I hate to be like the guy who's like, if if it could happen one time, that means that they weren't doing check. I mean, I've done plenty of web apps where mm -hmm. I found it once, and I was just like, it's going to be everywhere. Are you are you are you are you using the last pass defense? Yes. Are yeah. you saying just just where there's smoke, there's fire, and yes. you, everyone bail? Like screw this. I'm not, out. Okay. I'm not saying everyone bail. I'm just saying that to your Wait. point about the but, class of vulnerability, if you're not checking for it, right? And this was able to get through. See, this is a rewrite. Yeah, this is okay? this is a rewrite level vulnerability. Yeah. Yes. So let's but let's get on that. Like we don't know, like what the SQL injection is. If this is a SQL injection and a get parameter, i.e., up in the URL, and it could be found quickly and easily with like Burp Suite Pro. It is unauthenticated. I could tell you that much. It so, is unauthenticated. So that means that your your get and post like like the number of variable fields that you have to play with. Yeah. are incredibly limited. It's pretty one. bad. Yeah. It's egg on so, face. But yeah. then it's getting into does move it actually have a letter of attestation anywhere on their website? Like if I go to website, got community corner. Mm. Well, yeah, that's another question. Who yeah. knows? Letter of attestation. Or ask, like ask an chat actual GPT. at yeah, it doesn't know anything past 2021, so it's not going to be great for that. I'm, yeah, they've got nothing. I'm sure works. I have yeah. to get like a super subscriber account to download the new version to see what the change was. But um, well, yeah, and I'm willing to bet also that that's what um, like yes, you know, reverse yeah, exactly. that's gonna get patch it, yeah. yeah, just do a patch diff on it. Yeah, and that brings up is, another question: is if you look at all Microsoft releases patches, they obfuscate the living hell out of the patches, so you can't go directly. It's like Here's the line in this dynamic link library that's different from this before. That's where you need to write your exploit, boys and girls. They do all kinds of things to obfuscate the DLL for one version to another. Is MoveIt actually doing those type of obfuscation techniques? Or can you literally just do a patch diff and say, here's what they changed? Right. And I mean, yeah. if they missed the SQL, I don't know if the, you know, I don't know if they're taking it that far. That, that's the no, question. That's, yeah. that's, that's the question, pretty bad. Right? It's like I said, there are developers that were born after this was a bad idea that are probably <laughs> actively <laughs> writing this code. I'm like it's not new. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt because like somebody said, it just takes one intern. Just takes one person. Sure. There was sure an if statement and someone did it. Yeah, I get okay. that. I get that. But Microsoft They has had the, the security. It was just bypassed for some... Yeah. Yeah, you just say... So I'm going to give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt, mainly because I know at some point in my future, someone's going to be like, how come BHIS didn't find this or active countermeasures didn't find this? And I'm like, well, God, it was just a 
God damn it, it was just one mistake. You, so, I, I, you well, missed one well, vulnerability. It's, it's, one mistake in something that's, it's one mistake in something that's obviously not highly widely used, so how often are you going to actually yeah, run into that it? That is a good point. Only 2,500 yeah. exposed ones on the internet. And Probably actually lower than that. Because yeah. like Ralph and said also that yeah. when I'm doing like a red team or something like that, and I see a developed application that's like maintained, I'm going to spend less time on that than I might on a custom application. Not to say that I won't check for those things. Or if you paid me to do a test on this app, I'll just spend all the time doing it. But if I'm looking wide, I'm not going to spend as much time on that particular app because okay. I assume, you know, that's, that's honestly, that brings up, that, yeah. that brings up yeah. two separate things whenever it comes to red teaming. Number one, when you're doing red teaming, if we're at the point where we're trying to write a zero day in yeah. two weeks yeah. against a, a COTS software package, we're pretty desperate. <laughs> <laughs> now, Bradley, Bradley had that one, I can't remember the name of the software where we reverse engineered the Nessus plugin. So the exploit wasn't the exploit wasn't public, but he was doing packet capture to capture the Vuln scan data yeah. and then was able to reverse engineer that and get it an exploit. Now that's the type of cheating that we do as a uh, as red teamers but this also you know this is like once once again Vinny, you know talking about he's kind of been ripping on you know the idea of an assumed compromise assessment he's just like you know well if it's an assumed compromise assessment why don't we just give you access directly to our most secure data uh, honestly I disagree. I disagree. when you're looking at a red team like this when we do an assumed compromise assessment we're assuming that something like this is going to land and then we're going through and testing your, your, your detective capabilities post-exploitation. That's why it's so important. You know, you absolutely should do red teams that are purely unauthenticated on the outside. But goddamn, if you look at it and you're like, well, if I give a red teamer access to my network, it's cheating. Absolutely. You need to do that type of test to say, if somebody sits in our DMZ, are we able to detect if there's outbound connections coming from one of our servers in the DMZ that's not a normal connection? Can we detect if somebody's pivoting from the DMZ to the internal network? Can we detect if somebody's pivoting from a SaaS platform that we're using into the internal network or into other parts of our infrastructure? That's why these types of tests exist. You can't expect your red team to come up with zero days every single time, number one, because that's dumb and it's really, really expensive. And number two, they're totally not going to hit the same zero days that other attackers are going to go after. As I mean, well. the, also the point of if we're doing a red team and we're hitting this thing up, can you do you have the logging? What data did we get access Bingo. to? Like, yeah. So and not to like, you know, not to toot our own horn or our clients horns too much, but we do have a lot of clients at Black Hills that hire us to do testing of commercial products like this. And yeah. on some level, you could say it's stupid because they didn't code it. And if there's an issue with it, they're just going to have to kick it back to the vendor. But this is a great example of if you are one of those paranoid companies that hires pen testing firms to test your commercial applications in depth, like web apps, assume compromise, you know, full on, you know, not just like, oh, we saw it on a red team, didn't look like a juicy target, but like, here's the move it application, here's credentials for it, see if you can do anything bad. That validates the value of this because there's always, I'm not saying we definitely would have found it, but there's the potential we find it. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, the people so, that are really paranoid are, yeah. this is edifying for them where they're like, and could, yeah, a consumed breach is like a total positive win for the blue team a lot of times. Like it looks really good for us where you have to actually move to assume breach. If you caught them trying to get in right off the bat, like I, it's always a good ego boost to tell you the truth, right? 
And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's not, it's not meant to be adversarial at all, but I want to, I want to springboard on what Corey was just talking about as the owner of Black Hills Information Security. The only companies that I know that actually hire red teaming companies to go in and do assessments of the products that they're using would be like financial investment firms. Um, I think we have one insurance company in like over 12, 13 years, and then a couple of large scale manufacturing companies. And my point with that is these are companies that have monster security budgets their a level of risk tolerance is almost non-existent. It's not something that a normal company can be like, you know what? I'm paranoid of every single application that we have facing the internet. We should have that tested. And I think that that comes back to, we've got to normalize vendors having letters of attestation from reputable pen testing firms saying that, yes, we have Bishop Fox that tested this application. We have trusted sec that trusted, attested this application. We have BHIS, we have we have Red Siege, we have Secure Ideas, whatever. Hacker One. You know, Hacker oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would trust Hacker One more than other other bug bounty companies, right? Because a lot of bug bounty companies are just spray and pray. Hacker One, they'll actually do product assessments um, sure. with third party hired guns. But we need to normalize that, right? Because that's not every company can afford that. But these companies should be having that level of testing done on their products anyway in advertising. I would say yes, as long as it's not a product that involves a lot of custom configuration, which this is not. Like, this is just an off-the-shelf. If it's a product like, you know, the classic example is what we test for every single client, which is their EDR configuration, right? Like, because we don't have a choice because it's running everywhere. So it's like, yeah, you know, we're not going to find a bypass in your EDR, but we can find the exceptions or the exclusions or the, you know, you just have it in alert-only mode. (laughs) Like... So, yeah, I mean, I would agree with you, John, but I will say, like, for certain products that have, like, huge amounts of, you know, setup and customization options, just it automatically doesn't matter config. at that point. Yeah. So, you, so you'd basically say, like, EDRs would be off the table for that type of testing? I mean, they should, definitely, they should definitely be publishing, like, here's how CrowdStrike isn't going to get hacked, but... <laughs> But But at the end of the day, if you run it in alert-only mode, it doesn't matter how much CrowdStrike doesn't get hacked, you will. (laughs) Yeah. And how many times do you see EDRs get quote-unquote bypassed? And the EDRs are like, they disabled application allow listing. Like, they shouldn't have done that. They had alerting not blocking mode. A lot of time, yes. And also like, oh, we had a rule because people needed to do their jobs. Um, which their jobs involved running macro-enabled documents from the internet. So, <laughs> but like that's not that's not on the vendor. But anyway, we spent way too much time on that article. But interesting, kind of you know, here's where we're at with security. Old is new, new is old. Nothing has changed. That defense in depth. Uh, you know, do you guys want to uh, talk about the gigabyte one? The uh, back. Yes, that's your, a good uh, one. Put your uh, tinfoil hats on. I thought it was gigabyte. <laughs> oh my god, giga, giga. No, it's gigabyte. It's worse gigabyte. than gigabyte. Gigabyte. <laughs> so, I just realized we we burnt way too much oh, yeah. on that so, previous giga- story. This one's probably more important. So Gigabyte had a um firmware backdoor. Okay, so all right. So Gigabyte didn't actually like have a backdoor it per se, but it was easily exploitable. And like the really high level for this is that uh the updater for this firmware. Um, didn't really validate who the server was. So and uses un- unencrypted. So you could do something like man in the middle, change the DNS request, and then suddenly you're updating the firmware on these devices, right? 
So that's kind of like the high level. So basically, yeah. yeah. So basically there's part of the firmware for these motherboards has tools that are built into them that are easily exploitable by attackers. Yes. And I will say this reminds me, I don't know if you remember (laughs) the Razer vulnerabilities. I don't even know if this got a lot of press, but it's as far as I know, still vulnerable where essentially when you plug in a Razer mouse, it just like does bad things and you can totally oh, yeah, hijack them. So, <laughs> As like, a gamer, I knew that. I knew about so, it. So, <laughs> okay. So here's, which I, I'm pretty sure this is still vulnerable to my knowledge because it's a hardware thing. But I guess my, my take on this is I'm impressed that they even bothered updating this because most home consumer gaming stuff is like this where it's like, oh yeah, you plug in this USB, we download an EXE from the internet, we run it as admin. That's pretty normal. So I'm actually impressed that they decided to update it and fix it. Um, I give them credit for that, but yeah, also scary. I, so first and foremost, Eclipsium is awesome. A uh, good friend of ours, Paul Azadorian, is over there. Um, so you know, hats off to them and what they're doing. But this also, like, if we go back to the threat model thing, <laughs> this is totally something that you know, if our, our Russian friends would have discovered this, they absolutely would oh, have yeah. used this, right? And this gets into the oopsies mistake, because if you're looking at like Gigabyte, they're not idiots, right? They're not like really bad developers, but they they clearly made a boo-boo here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And I guess like this is kind of a we could I guess if you, if you want to spend a little more time on this article, one thing I guess we could discuss is so what a lot of people might say, well, Gigabyte, probably not getting a lot of usage in the enterprise area. It's probably mostly home gaming, right? Like. I don't think there's many large companies that are like, yeah, we're buying gigabyte gaming desktops for all of our uh, employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like, you know, just, but I did, you know, to kind of lead the issue, I do want to say these gaming machines and people's home machines are part of the enterprise attack service uh, for many reasons we've I talked about. <laughs> LastPass is the biggest one I can talk my, about. Where My it's Plex like, track server has a gigabyte. Yeah, I was well, gonna say, dude. I don't think it's I don't think it's Plex Track. Don't bring them into this. Oh my it's Plex, Plex. Like, Oh my bad. My bad. My bad. My Plex server. I, I yeah. was just working so, on Plex yeah. Tracker, uh, yeah. Plex server motherboards as well. Yeah. No. Yeah. Your 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 home network enterprise ones. Your home network is part of the threat model when you're in this work from home, uh, you know, zero trust type of world. So mm-hmm. just uh, just something to think about. Yes. Not you know. Yeah, Gigabyte actually has a pretty big enterprise uh, motherboard division, and they actually have uh, a lot of like GPU, AI boards, and other stuff like that. So, didn't this article say they knew how many were vulnerable? Like yeah. 250 different ones. Yeah. they yeah, were just probably, reusing yeah. the same code. I could be wrong on that number, but it's in the. That's 200. the number of motherboard models. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh. We I don't know reading the, the 250. And I was no, like, oh, I don't think we bad. know a total count. <laughs> I mean, dude, two, that's enough models. Yeah. It's probably in the millions. Yeah. yeah. How to check what type of motherboard this computer has. So can we talk about the cyber weapons manufacturer? Because this is something we've talked about. Yeah, this one's good. That sounds good. Ooh, cyber weapons. NSO Group and Mm. Pegasus and Paragon and all these companies that are selling cyber weapons. Yeah. I I think we've talked about this in the past where people are like, NSO is bad because they're being used by evil nation states and evil dictators. And once again, I want you all to think that through a little bit. Israel is awesome in what they're doing. Just let's let's give them credit where credit's due. I know there's people like, I don't think Israel's awesome under anything. Back up. They're literally selling implant software to countries that want to kill them. That's <laughs> awesome. 
right? Now, whether they or not you agree with Israel policies or not yeah. is completely irrelevant. If you're a nation state and you could like, if the United States could be like, hey, China and Russia, we've got this implant software over here. And they're like, oh, we totally like to buy that. What's the cost? A million dollars. Here it is. Okay. Here's the software. Now you're installing it in your most sensitive network segments. It's like, thanks. It's like that picture from the office where he's winning an award and he looks confused. Like <laughs> that's brilliant. So I, I don't know. Like the, I, I'm constantly surprised at people being surprised about nation state level weapons, uh, cyber weapons. And should I stop being surprised at people not being surprised about this or being surprised? I think it's I just we're getting the, into this weird surprise. It's the Fibonacci sequence. It's the cyber like sexy factor that I always felt like. Oh, like there's sexy. other military there's other military contractors out there selling like actual weapons that kill people to <laughs> to like bad <laughs> companies, right? Like, why do you care about the cyber more? But I think it, it's also because it could hit. It could hit. It feels like it hit you more. Because it's just yeah. cell phones. Everybody has a cell phone, right? And that's I, the way it's pitched. But I agree with you. It's And overpitched. I think you're right on the way it's pitched, right? Having been in some of those meetings, like if you have two people, you have one person that shows up to a meeting with a bunch of generals and they're like, here's a zero day for this very specific version of Android phone. And it's zero click and we can gain access. And then you can be in the back room. You're like, I can literally gain access to hundreds of accounts through breach database data. And they, they'll go for the zero day click because it's shiny and it's sexy and it's cool and it's expensive. And that's literally where they're going to spend all their time. I mean, I guess we should address the kind of depressing side of this, which is basically that this article and the company that's behind it, essentially what the article saying is, if you have the right lawyers and politicians behind you, you can develop cyber yeah. weapons. <laughs> Their marketing strategy behind this was was awesome. Like, like that, that's like that's what this article is about. Is like, how do we only pitch to the U.S. so the U.S. doesn't? Well, no, say we can't how sell do you anymore? not step afoul of the yeah. U.S. so that they'll they won't sanction you? It's Money. it's just a really funny thing. It's like, okay, well, you can't tweet any pictures of Trump if you want. Uh, if you want it to be like, it's yeah. it's just so funny to be like. Imagine being an Israeli person who's set up this company that has this amazing technology. And you're like, all right, cool. We have the zero days. We have this. I'm cool with it. I can sleep at night. And then you're like, all right, now we have to pick our customer list. Okay, let's call up the United States. Hey, who are we allowed to sell this to? Saudi Arabia? No. Russia? Yes or no? <laughs> it's like, it's so <laughs> silly. It's like, and, and as long as you don't, as long as you, you know, don't go in the dark area and you stay out here in the light, you can sell it to I, like, I, I, the US I, I, is fine with like, oh yeah, you can target Russia. That's fine. Just don't give it to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> like, it's just so silly. But, but that's like, once again, that's probably not the conversation. They're basically like, um, so, you know, I'm sure that here, the bureaucracy thing was like, well, NSO group sells to these countries and our export controls do not allow it. And there's probably some policy wonk um, out at the big blue building in Chantilly or, you know, at the NSA headquarters or wherever. And they're like, oh, no, we can't vote that because they're violating export controls and blah, 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 blah. And then finally, someone's like, but <laughs> if we have a data sharing agreement with them on the ass end through SIGINT, we can get access to that data that they have selling it to these customers. And then I'm sure that there was a whole bunch of meetings where everyone got completely worked up and there was arguments back and forth. And some general finally made the decision that they're going to get this data. And <laughs> when you're talking about the marketing of it, right, every time NSO group is in the news, 
and they're saying, oh my God, they have this zero-click iOS vulnerability, there's Android vulnerability, and they're exploiting all of these reporters, and they're exploiting these people in Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is using it for all these things. It is straight-up freaking advertising. And if you're in charge, right, if you're in some type of offensive cyber command in the United States government, you are absolutely going to get questions from your senators and congressmen and women and people that are GS1 too many's. They're going to be like, well, if our adversaries have this level of capability, why aren't we buying it and using it or at least developing that capability? And then how they develop it is they create a company here in the United States that's a shell company. They buy all the technology from NSO. They feed it into the shell company and then they resell it back to the United States. I don't know if anybody cares about that type of inside baseball, but that's literally how this crap works. Yeah, I also think I I think it's funny, like. I guess one thing to keep in mind if you're the Israeli company is that the people that are working for you will turn on you in approximately 0.2 seconds when they get black bagged and pulled into the wrong room. (laughs) The other thing is that like, it is so funny to me, like it's so different with cyber weapons to talk about like proliferation or that kind of thing. Like, I guess it's, it's actually, is it like, okay, so Russia had all these tanks, right? And then they got sold to different company or countries and, you know, big bad. But like, I guess, for cyber weapons, do they have more control? Like, They're, I don't know. I wonder, like, because you can't stop a tank from being driven, like, by anyone who happens to be inside that tank. But like, oh, all, all these, all these cyber weapons are are doing callbacks to the main company, right? Uh, so to it's make like sure they, they actually can, they actually can be yeah. like, uh, you're coming from Saudi Arabia, so no. Like, it's just interesting, like, they, to They can, imagine. but they don't, right? Because they want that to come from Saudi Arabia, and they can totally ride that connection back and spy on the people that are using your software to spy on people. But they have the politicians believing that they aren't doing that. Well, I am <laughs> sure that there's behind-closed-door conversations with the politicians that are telling them to uh, STFU and hear some crayons color. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. once it's, again, it's so funny, yeah. I hope they are. <laughs> it's like you know. so. What's what's your market strategy for marketing this? Um, closed room, U.S. Tons government of bad <laughs> press in America. Oh man! So it it ends up on the Drudge Report, Huffington Post, Fox News, CNN, just to make sure that all the generals that are making purchasing decisions are seeing your product, yes. right? And you got to make sure, like, I, I, your your market uh, your market valuation is not how much your company's worth, but how many pending lawsuits there are. So it's like, yes, how many absolutely. pending lawsuits you got? Oh, you got 50 pending lawsuits? Oh, you got Apple suing you? We want oh, this product. yes. Yeah, didn't, we want some of that. Didn't like, every NSO time, every sell time to the these, Every time these news stories are on CNN or Fox News, like a major one, it's like InfoSec Cialis commercials. Uh, <laughs> they're they're gonna buy your product it's just like oh yeah i'm gonna need some of that um, you want to so. do one more if we got time you pick one uh well i was looking at the steve aoki one because you know why not it's a it's a crypto scam and i'm a sucker for a crypto scam but i will say a lot of the um a lot of the this is uh, this is a great example people are still you know using twitter to do thing like they're still using at twitter as an attributable source i guess which is just i don't know it's crazy so I, basically what happened was you know someone compromised steve aoki's twitter which apparently he's a musician throw cake throws cakes at people and um Classic. he you know tweeted out a fake link to his new nft project uh-oh but turns out his new nft project is just an exploit so the, the scam is compromising identities, right? And people trusting that it came from the right person because they're just one login away. Yeah. 
It's, it's just really funny. In the crypto space, they've solved this. Like they've solved like identity attribution. They have like the blockchain. They have like uh, But you gotta put in the work to do the validation. Right? <laughs> well, yes, that's that's correct. And that's the thing that with NFTs people don't want to do because they want to mint it, you know, they want to be first to do it. But isn't isn't this just like the great Abraham Lincoln quote about the internet? You don't you don't trust anything on the internet, you know? Just, yeah, I read that on the internet. <laughs> but he tweeted it. He tweeted. I thought, were, I thought you were going with the great Abraham Lincoln quote: "Theater sucks." Uh, no. but, <laughs> I don't know. That was a really short one. That was boring. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It, it's a margins game, right? Mm. If somebody's followed by forty six million people or whatever, and you can get a hold of their account, you totally know that there's going to be a percentage of people that are dumb, but there's also going to be a smaller percentage of people that are really, really dumb, and you can totally take advantage. It's P.T. So, Barnum's born every minute thing. But, okay, so the thing that really gets me about this one is we, we've seen this before with, like, rich, high-profile accounts tweeting out links to crypto scams, and they've been way less successful than this. So I guess I'm just going to say the NFT crowd they might be the most gullible crowd on the face of the planet. <laughs> well, that's because the NFT crowd, right? The way that they make money is they have to grab it up as fast as possible. Right. And then they have yeah. to offload it and the being the first to get the exclusive whatever, right? So they literally do it as fast as possible and don't think, could yes. this be a scam? They're like, I need this. And then... Okay, so now we just need to discover I, I get, the cybersecurity application. That are talking about, here's how you, well, before everything went to hell in crypto. They were like, here's how we're going to make money in NFT, exactly like you were talking about, like a pump and dump scheme. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that, but it's evil and it sounds really boring. Um, like, there's, there's funner ways to make money than doing it. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, all right, let's was, go back to the right, Cricket yeah, Finger. Good show. Thank you so much for joining me, Mike and Corey and Wade and Ralph. Really appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Oh, I've got a pay what you can class almost coming up constantly. Um, but if you like computer security stuff and you want to hang out, or more importantly, if you know someone that wants to get into computer security, check out Anti-Siphon Security Training, our website, and go to our pay what you can options because we have lots of cool stuff there. Thank you so much, Ryan. Take us out. <laughs> <laughs>